You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We've got the kiln fired up. We've got the furnace prepped. We're about to unsheath the laser fire of Tyra. Yes, Rizcha de Raisa is coming your way. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card. And you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic, and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. If it's Moitzei Shabbos Kodesh, the last one for this season, this must be Rizcha Daraisa. Yes, Rabbi Gabriel and I are packing up for about a month or so and going to rest our vocal cords and get ready for Pesach and uh, and other things. Um, so we decided tonight um, to sort of do something a little bit different uh, as we close our season, doing something, and perhaps we might do it more often. I think Rabbi Yosef and my people might like it better than 40 minutes on one topic like we did last week. Um, sort of we're going to do a lightning round. We're gonna, we have a couple of different ideas that are sort of percolating in, in my head. Uh, and we're going to send a four-minute limit and uh, at the end of four minutes, there should be a school bell that will ring, and then we'll go on to the next topic. Uh, Rabbi Yosef, are you ready? Are you up, are, do you think you're up for this challenge? Uh, we'll see. Because, yeah, you know, verbosity is the is sort of a makla that we both sort of suffer from. Here we go. So here we go with our first topic, our first four minutes. Now, we know that many times when people come to be our age, they're running a Seder, there's a large family, there's children and grandchildren. It's just a large amount of kit and caboodle of people, and you only have limited time to get through everything. Rabbi Yosef, how do we run that? How is that possible to do in a way that everybody is satisfied? I don't know. How, how do you do this in a way that everybody's satisfied? It's me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and again, you have the kids who want to say their different Torah and everybody wants to stand up and do the Manishtana. Is it possible when you have like a family of seven or eight or nine kids with a bunch of grandchildren and you have the grandfather there? Um, can, it, can it get done? Um, it doesn't in, make... my, in, my, in my younger years, I used to pontificate a lot at the Seder. As I grew older, I realized that not necessarily everybody wants me to pontificate. So uh, I stopped. Uh, I stopped and I tried to um, respond more than being uh, active when possible um so that people do get their own um um sense of their, their own sense of their uh, meaningfulness from participation obviously it's sometimes you need a traffic cop um to um 
put people uh, to hold people in check when they're exceeding their uh yeah, uh, um, maybe, maybe, maybe it makes sense. Like Chaim said, you just read the basic seder, read the basic nusach from the Haggadah, and do scissors. Um, You know, you have more time for different day later, but to get the seder done, to get magid done, maybe it makes sense, especially when you have a large group. Uh, do, do you think it makes sense for one person to read it or to parcel out uh, the sections for different people to read? Because I think if you have too big of a family, you're not going to be able to do that either. Right. And my 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 in laws family where we had this and I had the Seder for some thirty plus years, they always go around the table doing paragraphs. Yeah, so but unfortunately you run out, especially if let's say we talk about the situation we have seven or eight kids and a bunch of grandchildren and people kids that want to read. Wait a minute, there's plenty there's plenty of paragraphs in the Seder. Okay, I guess if you cut them up properly, especially. Um, what about kids saying different what about the kids saying they're canned different day? You have no choice. You, what you're not gonna let them say that? I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, if the teachers you're not gonna send let them, them a, say that, I don't know if the uh, well, I, 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 you're not going to let them say that. you're full of baloney. Of course, you're going to let them say that because that's so they they get a chiyot from that, and their school expects them to do do it as well. So therefore, of course, you're going to let them say it. Yeah, even though it sort of like runs counter to the whole idea, which is yes, then supposed to be so asking what? you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What ends up, I think, uh, what it turns out is that many of the people, especially the adults and the older people, uh, don't really get a chance to really uh, to. To really absorb, and we understand, especially if you have some other guests besides family. So it really is somewhat of a conundrum, I think. Um, especially if you if you pass on Azari that you want to finish by Chatzais. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how it works. What do you think? Like, let's say you're going to your son-in-law. Is, is you going to let him run the seder? Or are you going to run the seder? Who's going to run the seder? Why, of course, he shouldn't be mechabed. You? No. <laughs> you don't think so, huh? No, don't don't you think the person who knows the most should be no. the one who's leading the seder? No, it's not from the Gemara like that. No, the Gemara should lead the seder. Unless the no, it has to be the person who knows more. No, 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 you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Okay. Uh, the Balabas, the guy who owns the food, is not the one who says yeah, the seder. When I was my father's seder, oh, he always ran the seder. I really knew that was. Uh, All right. I, was I don't know if your father was from the Cicada. I know he's I a wonderful person from Detroit. He's not Zakan Adar that you can bring Rayas from. No. I'm just uh, telling you what, what I do. You ask me what I do, and that's what I believe. Is yeah, look, I'm not asking you about the Bechaffer family history. This is supposed to be me. what this is supposed to be. What you think is I the right that, thing? I, 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 if I, I'm it's, telling it's, you, I think that way. Hey, yeah, you have well, ten it, seconds left. You want to make the guy to live in? I think means it has to be the the person who knows the most has to be around. I think that's what it has to okay. be. Yes, yes, I think that was what I would say. All right, we'll see if we. All right, okay. There's the first bell. Okay. All right, so that's the first question. Let's go now. Second, um, it seems like clearly that the old days, the fifties and sixties, where it was the woman who cooked, who had all the seder stuff, and she knew how to make the brisket and have everything and the matzah balls and whatever it was. Today, things are much different. There's a foodie obsession that has erupted uh, everywhere, and it's gone into the Jewish world as well. Um, you know, there's a there's a whole magazine called Fleshik, which gives you all these recipes, and it's written by men. And you can see, of course, the amount of men chefs who take such great pride in it. I went to a Purim Suda, and uh, there was a fellow there. Actually, it was just Avani Marib at that Suda. But the men who were running it were showing me all the great dishes they had made. Uh, what do you think that means? The idea is, is this is this shift, you know, important? The fact is that men get are getting so involved in cooking and and and, and these cookouts and whatever it is. What do you think? It's a uh, it's, it's sign of the times. To me, it's max of Tenska uh, of Kashmir, which is over the top. Uh, but I have a, a friend many years ago. I asked one of our Rabbim and Shalvim, and all of Shimon Zalaznik, that's how I asked him, Rav, 
האם מותר לאכול סטייק? ורבזולזניק אנסוורד, חביבי, מה זה סטייק? He had no idea what a steak was. He was going up in Yerushalayim, but he knew it from a steak. And uh, that's, uh, that, I think, is the uh, more the derech of authentic Judaism than uh, looking to have charcuterie boards and all sorts of other lavish presentations of Gashmius. But uh, on the other hand, this is the door, and this door, I think, they see an, as an inseparable part of the Avodah Hashem, The Avoida Begashmius, even Begashmius Atsuma Admoid. And uh, I, perhaps uh, uh, in our generation, or perhaps in another generation, it won't be the case, but each door is different. You have to do I, I see it a little bit different. I think that part of it is that um, the gender, uh, fixed gender situations, I think, have altered the idea. So it's not only the woman who's involved in cooking and getting all the details. Nah, it's something that's being shared things. equally no, by no, men and no, women. No. There's specific things. He's not going to get involved in making a chocolate mousse for dessert. He's only getting involved in making the, the flesh and the red flesh specifically. Come on, uh, give me a thing. Possibly. It's not a gender I, I, change. It's no, just no, like you said, the barbecue is being the man's purview. No, barbecue was always, you always had the guy with the okay, barbecue. Okay, this is the same the thing. Set. The no, same but thing. This is, no, I, I think the, like, whether it's the herring or the, uh, and the meat, like you're saying, I think it also goes down to desserts. I'm seeing it across the board. This I don't believe that. I challenge you to find a case which the man decides he's going to be in charge of desserts. Okay, this is a double there for you. Look, I, like I said, at, at that Purim Suda, I don't want to say the man's name, but he was pointing to this banana rum dish and was telling me, oh, you got to take this. Did this is really something special. Did he make it or his special. wife made it? No, he made it. He made it. He was okay. very, very proud of it. So I'm seeing it across the board. I, I think it is an indicator of, hey, you know, this not just the man in the kitchen. Um, I know my daughter. Was he divorced? Who I to, was there a woman in the house? Uh, his wife was right behind him. Yeah, I think she was very, very what happy she about make? it. she Nothing? Uh, it was for a, a communal suit. I don't know. I was drunk anyway when I was there. I mean, I was just coming in. Uh, oh, so we can't trust anything you say about this. Uh, I, uh, that much I remember. The, 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 this big fat guy was talking <laughs> to me about eat this banana stuff because yeah, I made it. And he was telling me about all the different types of rum he put in it. I thought it was something quite interesting, actually. And I think I know my daughter always tells me that she expects when she gets married that it's going to be a mutual kitchen. Everybody's going to be involved in it. And I think men wanting to have this expertise is very interesting. They want to get all the details. They like they get they get talk about it. Instead of talking about how many catches that wide receiver made, they want to talk about exactly how many pinches of salt and oregano and whatever other things they're going to put in there. So I think it's quite Quite interesting, quite interesting phenomenon. I guess we shouldn't applaud it and not necessarily put it down like you tried to do. Okay, that's there we go to our... Oh. All right, so let's go to the third... Uh, wait, I wait, was... uh, fo- folks... Uh... Because we already eating into the time already. I just want you to know that you notice that that my my shuta here, Rabbi Avramo, is an expert at running down the clock and getting in the last word. Just want to point <laughs> okay. that out. I, I, so, I'm, I'm, I'm turning back the clock to four. Okay, good. Turn it back. Okay, here we go. Back to four. Okay, here we go. Um, recently, uh, it's not recently. I attended a second wedding. Uh, my friend had been divorced for twenty something years. Uh, the woman that he was married to was also divorced for twenty something years, and it was quite a lavish event. Uh, it wasn't exactly as large as a regular wedding, but it was. It, it had all the uh, features of a regular wedding, just a tiny bit smaller. Um, and I was thinking about it. I was very happy with my friend. We danced like crazy. But what do you think? Generally, should a second chasna for a middle age or senior be a large or lavish affair? What do you think? I don't know. It's a good question. I think that uh, if they were divorced for 20 years each, it sounds like it's a big simcha. So I think it's appropriate to make a big simcha. So yeah, obviously, um, we're, uh, it uh, seems uh, a bit uh, over the top for the people who 
have been married for 20 years and have been going to such simchas for, except for their kids by now. I, I, it's a and by the question. children and grandchildren were all there at the wedding. So um, I know there's this big beta that they shouldn't have grand, they should, children shouldn't watch their uh, mother or father yeah, get remarried. I think, I think very few and fewer people are mocked on that nowadays. Yeah, I was actually standing with the uh, with the with, with the children, and I I I asked I I asked the I asked the bride. I said, "I was that your sister that I was with?" You know, she was very happy uh, that it was her two daughters. Um, but the, I so guess the question. Uh, so, uh, great. I just want to make sure I said you were you were going to give us das in order to be mishabecher. Listen, uh, Chazal say you can do that. Chazal oh, say, right, "Come sure, okay. Hasuda, right?" It's, so you're uh, passing my base, base. Are you right? Pass my base. Uh, yeah, look, I, I yeah, am. Def- I, I'm definitely closer to the hill than Shammai on this show. But anyway, so what do you think, though? I, I, I have heard that you know they usually do it in a quiet way. A still a vague. I don't think that's true anymore. I think you're yeah. right. It's a new yeah. phenomenon. Rav Abba Braunschweiger was nifter. I just heard from one of his Talmidim that he made a very big wedding, even his third chasana. Mm-hmm. Uh, he invited all his Talmidim to come and to be misameich with him. So, uh, you know, it's quite interesting. What I've also heard, though, is that sometimes the wedding is small, but they have a reception where they invite a bunch of people to come. Oh, but yeah, the actual chuppah is sort of an etznua dekoifen. What do you think? That's, yeah, I mean, that's the, the point of the, the kids not coming is not go to the chuppah. So uh, that makes sense. The chuppah should be less elaborate than the, um, than the, um, than the reception. But again, you know, everybody, if this, is, if this is the way this couple is going to stay married happily and Obviously, there's a much more many challenges for, which appear with Zibuk Shani, Kachuk Chris Yamsu, which didn't necessarily uh, uh, manifest in Zibuk Rishon. So, uh, you know, let, let's forget them. Let's make, yeah, I, I guess, you know, you're right. It might be a difference between a wedding that uh, a marriage that ended in a divorce to a marriage that ended in death. If we talk about two old, an Almona and an Almain who get married, I think over there, I think we both agree that the money is probably better spent giving to the various uh, families. Than to have like a simcha, and it's almost like a chukah v'tula. No, I mean, I mean this 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 was a pretty young, vibrant couple, middle aged, a little on the. But I think if we're talking about just an older couple that are just getting married for convenience, yeah, well, just make a chuppah and that's it. No, what do you think? Again, uh, what you're saying is about Mister Mister the but I don't think we can dictate policy. I don't think in this case if they if they think that this is what's going to make their 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 union. More binding one, a more happy one. You know what are we supposed to say? Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Again, but again, remember, even though you want to do a shtick at a wedding, but to act uh, not your age, I think is also very important to realize. You have to know where you're holding at what time, you know, and what type of situation. So I would say that you know, there probably isn't any specific directive to how to do this. But I think if people are whispering in your ear, they could probably say, look, you know, <laughs> have a nice little uh, little sneostic affair, perhaps, uh, might be the better way to go. But like I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, second guess my friends on this. OK, here's our next topic. Uh, we've uh, had a lot of mileage reviews have had of what if shows like what if this happened, what that happened. Um, people are very concerned about what's happening in Eretz Israel today, and uh, will the Medina survive the way it was meant to be, etc. Um, I was wondering. Uh, we know that uh, there was at, at one of the earliest Zionist conventions, uh, there was a proposal uh, that they should the money should go since they didn't think they were able to get the land in Eretz Israel. That perhaps a country in Africa, and I think at that point there was a huge tract of land in Uganda. Uh, that might have served as a place for the Jews of Europe to escape to. Let's imagine an alternate reality where Herzl's Uganda idea would have been adopted. Do um, you think that would have saved 
more European Jewry than were eventually wiped out uh, as this 20th century hit and World War II? That's a good question. I don't think so. Probably would save less. Probably fewer people would want to go to Uganda than went to America as well. But you don't think that perhaps the Arabs and other also none of the religious none of the religious Jews would go. I mean, uh, if you were pragmatic, uh, even the uh, obviously it was rejected soundly and roundly by all the people designing this convention where it's brought up. But you know, even if you're not religious, the the, the Eastern European idea of Zionism is not the same as the Western European idea for many people. Western European, they're already assimilated and. They were looking for a pragmatic way out of uh, out of anti-Semitism. These European, even the ones who are already far from uh, religion, they still had this uh, this patriotism, which is grounded in Eretz Yisrael. So, if it was Uganda, I think very few would actually end up moving. It would have been a massive failure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a guy who wrote a, a, a book in which he quotes me. Yes, yes, I know. I know you were going to mention Alaska. this. Alaska. I know. You, I know you were going to mention. You mentioned Michael Shabon. I think that would have worked. <laughs> you, you've already mentioned Michael Shabon. How he quotes he is. He came up, but that was based on Harold Ickes' idea of having the Jews in Alaska, which yeah. again, you know, in, in, in his fantasy, you're right. In his fantasy, Jews were somehow saved, and some Jews made it. But you know, it's, right. it's, I don't uh, think Alaska would have worked either. Okay, well, Shabon has already done that. I was asking you to think about Uganda. And I think maybe, you know, I think even when it was suggested, as you said, it was only a stopgap measure till they were able to um, marshal the political muscle and the money they needed to get Eretz Yisrael. At least this way, they've been saved from pogroms and other things. I wonder, though, I think it's fascinating to think about Jews in Africa and how perhaps that especially could have paid dividends for today, especially as we've seen a lot of the renaissance of of the countries in Africa. Uh, It would have been an interesting dynamic to have the Jews there um, and to see, you know, because the imperialism that was shaken off in the 20th century of many uh, countries uh, over Africa it would have been interesting had there been a Jewish country there as well. And it's possible that relationships between blacks and Jews might have been actually been better if for a while the Jews had their separate state in Africa on their way. It would have been a weird type of combination, but you never know. Listen, we know that many people refuse to go to Eretz Yisrael for religious reasons. But they might. <laughs> no, they would not have got to Uganda. You think the Sabra Hasidim would have got to Uganda? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Eretz Yisrael, right. we're not going to go to Uganda to save ourselves. It was tied to the race. Uh, sign out Eretz Yisrael, signed by the Akbapi Koros. No, but at least it would have been a way out of, 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 of the drum beats of death that were that were, that no, were bending no, down on no. them. Nobody would have gone. The Belsa Rebbe would have said the same thing, and the Sabra Rebbe, the same thing, not to go. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, we know, and, and we know unfortunately, go. because of what they said, many Jews did die. Many yeah, Jews, unfortunately, true, but they would have said the same thing was Uganda. It was Kabbalah. Right, only because the the Friar were running it. But yeah. if the Frumer were running it and saying, but "Hey, this is a place," they, they wouldn't be. And, and again, Uganda would not have had the Soyuz of America in it. Yeah. Okay, so our next topic. So we we got a tremendous amount of response. Uh, to last week's program, and I think uh, correctly so. Um, and one of the comments was uh, that because of subject nature, we should have labeled the program inappropriate for families. And it was something that was only for certain listeners who were able to deal with some of the graphic things that we we're talking about. Um, what do you say? The crit- criticism was uh, proper wasn't or not? It really a criticism. I don't think it was. I think he was saying that. Um... Uh, we should that it was okay, but we should, uh, we should recognize that uh, this uh, was not necessarily a family friendly 
uh, uh, segment. I don't think we're saying that we shouldn't do it, but you have to. The idea of risk of the rights is intrinsically an adult program because we deal with an adult level with adult themes. It's not meant for children, right? So he was saying, but this one should have a, a warning on it. I don't think he was critiquing us. Yeah, well, he, he, look, the question really is, though, you know, where do we draw the line between what's considered adult and what's not? Obviously, when you're, dealing, with, obviously when you're dealing with when you're dealing with halacha, you can, you know, anything you talk about hilchas issues or gitten or, but you know, I have a friend who uh, who does something much more drastic than we do. He has a show called Intimate Judaism. Uh, Scott Kahn, he does it with his with his with his uh, Tali uh, Rosenblum. And, you know, I, I might be mispronouncing your name, but, you know, and they talk about things really very in an intense way. I don't think we do that. I don't think we get too graphic, but I think you need to go into detail. I don't think you can spin around and use euphemisms uh, and really be constructive when you're trying to make a point in halacha. Um, You know, to me, you know, you can't be too prudish. Uh, on the other hand, you, you don't necessarily want to be sensationalist. What do you think? Well, I think you tried the best to you tried to uh, limit. Obviously, I'm a bigger pro than you are, as our listeners have figured out by now. But um, you did try to limit yourself admirably, and only used uh, uh, a word, a certain word, a certain uh, phenomenon. Yeah. One, yes, so right. Russia Davis. So uh, I, I don't see how the program could be run otherwise, because this is the reality of what we're dealing with, and especially when we're dealing with scholarship, which we believe was faulty and. Uh, um, was not um, not emistic, so we have to confront things from an emistic perspective. And Yikov Adina Sahar, we see in Chazal that they did not shy away from being explicit when they felt it was necessary. Right, and of course, I, and again, because of the Victorian age, because of other things, uh, uh, the Eisenhower cocoon and other things, I think we all have become, uh, you know, we grew up in a period where things were a lot more shocking than they were uh, from one, Chazal. One of our frequent listeners just sent me an article she wrote uh, I was very impressed by the article at, uh, about how Chazal were quite explicit and open when discussing Anida, even with the Nidos themselves, even in public. And, uh, you know, that uh, that was the, uh, in order to uh, de, um, perhaps de, 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 de toxify, take away the negative. Uh, um, yeah, well, can I, listen, I definitely agree with you. I think many times, even some of the statements recently in the Gemara Nazar and Dafyoyimi, all about, you know, about a, the, a body uh, decomposing, becoming decrepit. And, you know, I, I had Talmudim that were turned off by it. And I said, look, you know, the only way you're going to really lose these phobias is by dealing with things clinically. And if you don't deal with things with clinically, then you end up having these boogeymans, these things that scare you, these things you don't want to talk about, and things become unclear. There's a way to be tohar. And that's by being objective and, and being seichelic. And this, of course, you see by, by the great people. We, we try to emulate them. Um, we're sorry if some people's uh, sensibilities are affected by things that we might say. But again, you know, grow up. Okay, so penultimate. Um, it's been three years since COVID began. Penultimate uh, means second to last. This is the last. No, we're going to have one more after this. Okay, but here we go. Oh, COVID's three years ago. We, 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 we had tremendous amount of programs of COVID. We're learning something. We're the good we throw. Uh, nothing's happening. Uh, they're not. They're not out there. They're not giving the right statements. Uh, people are. People are not masking when they should be masking. Uh, there's basically Hashem going on. People are making crazy lawsuits. We've had a lot of COVID shows. Okay, look, it's three years. It seems like thirty years sometimes. Sometimes like three days. What do we learn? Uh, what do you think? Um, COVID's is it over? Is it not? But what have we learned? What have we come out of it? 
Um, I think we learned from COVID, from COVID, we learned from COVID <laughs> that uh, there are un- unbreachable gaps among populations. And uh, this is a world in which uh, the one side of the divide and the other side of the divide are so far apart. It's a wonder that, that we don't have a civil war about every issue. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it is each side, and I, I'm not. I'm, I'm biased. I'm not. I'm, I'm not for saying I'm objective, but each side cannot perceive in any way, shape, or form that how the other side has any justification. But somebody just wrote to me recently. I hope you will stop taking vaccinations because people are dropping dead all over the place because of vaccinations. And um, you know, I think that the exact opposite. That vaccinations have saved lives and continue to save lives. And people say that nobody died of COVID. And then I read that there are 140,000 orphans in America because of, of COVID. And it's, neither side can un, it, it even tries to understand the other side. They just try to, with his schools to overcome the other side. Very similar to what's going on in Israel today with uh, judicial reforms. There's something in the our era, maybe something with postmodernism, where there is nothing, where people do not Incapable, but, but it seems to have intensified. It seems to have intensified. You know, uh, I, I, I think from 2010 to 2011 on. Um, I don't know if it was the end of the Obama era. Uh, Michael Wilkinson said that one of the reasons why you have to vote against Trump is because he was this negative seed that created this this lack of civility and this lack of understanding between people. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ascribe to Trump so much, but I think you're right. I think you see COVID brought out how. It's impossible for two sides to even speak together, uh, even though they work together in order to produce tremendous, almost miraculous scientific things during COVID in terms of the vaccine and other things that were done uh, in terms of science. But uh, in many ways, you're correct, I think, uh, that COVID underscores our inability to converse with each other and understand each other. I don't think Trump began it. I think Trump was a, was a symbol of that, and Trump cashed in on it. What caused this lack of understanding between each other? I don't know. Um, but, you know, we've bemoaned the fact that so many, there were so many deaths because of COVID. I mean, what does Rabbi Shalom want from us? I mean, what would you say? We are three years later. I this, think Rabbi Shalom wants something for us that our generation will not succeed in accomplishing. Which is? Well, which is to, have, to, to generate Achdus, at least in Amisol, forget about the rest of the world, at least in Amisol, but I think it's getting worse and worse. I mean, maybe this is the denouement of Sinas Chinam before the coming of Mashiach, but it means that we've, the entire goal has been one epic failure ending in an even more epic failure. It's very, very frightening. Yeah, well, especially, I think, we've, and, and we've talked often about the fact that there hasn't been definitive statements, uplifting statements from, from G'dayli Yisrael, where you think, you know, previous eras where they were able at least to come up with that. I, I don't know if any manifesto uh, that was written that we, perhaps we can look at and say, oh, this is something great that's Nimshach Ladeiris coming out of the COVID mm-hmm. generation. Yeah. Okay, here's our last one. Um, look, we've been doing this six six seasons, meaning about over three years already. Um, you know, I came up with the idea one rainy afternoon. I called you up while I was driving. I said, hey, I think maybe we should do this podcast. Uh, we've done, you know, six times 20 something. So we've done, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, close to 150 to 200 shows, I guess. I don't know. Seems like it. Um, what have we learned? You know, what is what have uh, what is uh, Rav Yosef Gabriel Bechaf and Rav Yosef learned from doing this, other than having a good time zittling each other? 
Uh, have we gained? Have we grown as people uh, doing the show? Is it, is it just a way to, uh, you know, uh, to feel, oh, you know, we're getting some downloads? Uh, do you think that this has helped you in any single way, uh, in, in, in anywhere becoming a better person than you were than we started a little bit over three years ago? Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I see. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I think it's a toeless for um, for uh, other people to hear issues discussed in uh, in a refreshing but also profound way. Um, I think that uh, so the programs like last week's program, which received some accolades from people who are distinguished people, um, are are important <laughs> <by> themselves. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, yes. I, yes. In some ways, that shows where we could be. Of course, we got a bunch of people calling us after the Purim show saying, oh, I, I hated hearing about all that Purim Mishigas. I wanted to stay away from it. That was my youth that I wanted to uh, forget about. A number of Nergis Row people called me and told me that they were embarrassed uh, by hearing about some of the things that that happened. Um, look, I, I'll say like this. I think, I, I, I think that this is... I don't think that uh, this is uh, um, uh, something where, where, well, let's put it this way: I, there is a, some degree of avoidas hamidos and the two of us working together, which is a beautiful thing to behold, and uh, the positive thing. Um, I think that we are here to try and entertain and educate at the same time, and I think that that if people, if and when people listen, they do get that. Uh, we, we spoke, even though we have our detractors, by and large, I think that uh, we do accomplish that, and that is a form of avodas Hashem. Well, well, a person once called me and 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 spoke for a long time about how the fact that you see that you can argue and still get along, you see that you can shtuch each other, but it's not; it doesn't come like you're trying to rip each other's kishkas out. So I think that's part of it. I think that that's a good model. He uh, doesn't and... realize what we do behind the scenes. We rip each other's out even more. <laughs> yes, yes, right. But at least, at least, what we're showing is a model. <laughs> oh, it's possible to do that. And, and I think it's not just esvahav besufa. It really isn't that. It's really more than that. It, it's really to tell you that it's important to have a dialogue. It's important to have conversation. And it's important to have humor about each other. I think that's part of it. Look, I didn't. I would say that before we started, and I knew, of course, very well. Um, I would say that uh, I have been more impressed by your sense of humor uh, than I thought earlier. You definitely, you definitely were Magala to me. You know this woke side of you, which I didn't know uh, had had become so strong. But that's part of a, a friendship. You know, I, I think a friendship uh, gains uh, not just by going back to nostalgia and remembering the old things. Part of it is is noting all the changes and stuff like that. And I, I don't know I if you've seen that by again, me. But I said last week, which. Uh... I told the people who wrote to me about last week's program how uh, you did a masterful job of uh, refuting uh, falsehood. And uh, your shlita over the sources is, even though now in age we have many gdolim based on Bari Lan, you're one which precedes Bari Lan. Okay, look, like I said, I, I, listen, I'll say I'm great, but this was not greatness. This was just 15 minutes, an hour of checking. That's but that means, but he... Going, going, taking the liberty of going a bit over time, but the guy who wrote the article, he was obviously a god from Barry Lund, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, look, you know, listen, Kenny, uh, Kenny, you know, obviously did his research, had his friends helping him. I have to tell you, by the way, that I did have an offer once, and I'll say this on record. Um, Rabbi Riskin, who uh, offered me a job to work for Ortora, 
wanted me to be a researcher for him. He wanted me to, uh, uh, you know, go over material with him and get Myron McClamus for him so he, he'd be able to um, put his shirim together perhaps in a quicker way uh, than usual. He did write a book on, on, on a woman's right to demand a get which many people feel is a pretty decent safer. Yeah. But I see again, you know, you know, look, <laughs> people like myself and maybe you also, um, you know, <laughs> are sometimes sought out by others who have positions of uh, prominence in order to help them, you know, gather the material. Um, I'll tell you, it didn't sit so well with me to, to be uh, Stevie Riskin's, uh, you know, to come up with Mara McClaimers for his shiurim. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, it, 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 it turned out that he wasn't offering me such a great place to live anyway. So uh, he wanted me to live in a caravan. But uh, that's what I was going to do in the morning seder was like to uh, to meet with him a couple times a week and to and to give him Myron McClaimus. That would have been interesting though. Um, you know, we'd have been connected with the winner. So anyway, listen. Uh, as far as us goes, we're obviously going to take the next month off. But we want to hear from you. Did you like this new or you know perhaps we should exercise this sporadically where instead of us going off on the mouth or uh, just going off in places like limbo, got four minutes, get to this thing and get to the point and move on. Uh, If you like it, let us know. And maybe you want to send us some more lightning round topics so that we can deal with uh, in our seventh season. So, you know, seven is is definitely shlemus and we hope to be a mushlam. Be everybody catch you in ER. We'll see you later. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 